welcome with us this morning, and um, we are actually busy with an overarching theme called God with us, and uh, one of the scriptures that's really uh, prominent to us in this time is Isaiah 9, uh, which says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And it's in this time, understanding that God came close through Jesus Christ, He's with us, that we take this time this morning in this understanding God is so with us, He's so near, He's so close to us, He's inside of us, He's living through His Holy Spirit inside of us. And we just take time this morning to say thank to God and have gratitude for this year that have passed. And um, maybe you can just open your heart this morning for what God wants to do and as we just focus on our gratitude towards God in this moment. I want to tell you a story quickly before just to set up something of a foundation of where we are going this morning uh, with the Word. Um, <clears throat> I read the story about a, a Boston consultant in the U.S. Uh, working with some college graduates and um, he said that the workforce actually today, the corporate world, uh, they are using one word to describe the emerging generation coming into the workforce today. And uh, he just asked his, his students, what do you think this word, it starts with a, with a letter E, what would you think this word is to describe this new generation coming into the workforce? And so some of them, uh, you know, guessed, and one of the words, some of the words were like uh, maybe energetic, maybe we are an energetic a generation that's going into the workforce, and uh, some people said, okay, maybe excellent, the word is excellent, and um, he said, no, that's not the word, uh, and one person said, what about exceptional, we are the exceptional, it's the ex exceptional uh, generation, and still it was not the right word that people are using to describe this generation, and the word actually the use now in the corporate sector to describe this new generation is the word entitled, which is really a sad thing because we don't want to be labeled, you know, to something like that, which is a negative label. But this is the word, this is the experience out in the workforce talking about a new generation emerging into the workforce, an entitled generation. And so, uh, as we know them today, uh, m the millennials are labeled this the entitled generation. Now, which is for me very sad. Um, I don't like labels because I really think you put people in a box by doing that. But uh, this is reality out there. This is the sad reality. And, and maybe the question is, how do we change that? How do we maybe see that generation differently? But I don't want to get caught up into that specific generation. But just to say, you know, sometimes the older people, if you ask them about the younger generation, they would say, yes, you know, I know the millennials, those, you know, that younger generation. You know, those young people, you know, they do things in a certain way. Um, now, I just want to say this morning, uh, as we speak about it, we have to understand as older people, maybe you are a parent of a millennial. Um, I just missed it with a few years, so my daughter is still very young. Um, but we just have to realize something is that the generation that we see today, millennials, and I'm not going to talk about this all the time, uh, we must just understand that we created that generation. Uh, you know, the way our, our behavior and maybe the values that as parents or other people that we actually valued and, and have in our lives maybe shaped something of what we see today and this label that is there, which is sad. 
Um, so, you know, we have a generation that says, you know, we are very, very entitled. We feel entitled, you know. And the question maybe today is, how did we get there? How do we do that? Um, and I want to make this statement uh, this morning that says the, the compromises we allow today will be the norm of the next generation. The compromises we allow today will be the norm of the next generation. So whatever we allow and compromise in terms of values and, 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 will be the norm for the next generation. And so we cannot just look at a generation and say, you are entitled, we are not, whatever, you know, we create the next generation. We actually, our, uh, um, our behavior and conduct and everything has a role to play in it. Let me explain you why, and you will see what we get now with this, why. Is that typical the parents of millennials were in a time where they worked so much, and obviously one of the factors that happened, is not the only one, is because of overworking was divorce. We know that 20, 30 years back, it started divorce is really a big thing coming through. Every year you hear that divorce is just the number, the rate is going up and up. And um, just to say this, that most people when they get divorced is they love their kids, they love them. Mom and dad, most of them, they love their kids. Um, but trying to make up for a lack of time spend with their kids, maybe they got to a place, and this is now general, generalizing, if you go and read some research in terms of that, there was something of a place where they got where they could never say no to a kid, to a child. Struggle to say no because we are maybe separated, and now, you know, just to show and make up for lack of time spent with my kid, I just give. And I struggle to say no. And that can be, that is actually now research. One of the factors that, that we have today and that we see a millennial generation labeled as entitled. We also, uh, you know, see that this generation was so protected or is so protected today. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I'm not a millennial, as you can see in my beard and the gray hair. Uh, but when I was a kid, we actually... Uh, you, you could ride at the back of a ute with your friends. How many of you experienced that? Yeah. You could ride, yeah. Today, you have to, you have like 43 different seat buckles and belts that you have to tighten fast and just to, for safety. It's all about safety. Um, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, you could ride a bike without a helmet. How many of you experienced that? Yeah. You can ride it without a helmet. Well, my kids these days, I mean, uh, you know, they just want to exit the house, especially the little one, and she wants to go and ride a bike. My wife is like, where's your helmet? I'm like, is the bike still intact? You know, is everything fine on the bike? Have you checked the bike? It's not just the helmet. You must just check if the bike is also all right, all right, the bicycle. So, you know, we so protected this generation. And so... Um, let me just get my space. Sorry. Where is my space here? Yeah. So we protected this generation so much. So something of entitlement really came through in this generation that we see today, which is sad, and we trust God that we'll not have that in generations to come. The big thing is, it's not even in the age group that we see entitlement. Obviously, this is becoming part of society. And as it becomes part, we even see people not in that age group becoming entitled. I don't know if you've experienced it. Maybe people really just around you 
getting entitled. You know, I deserve stuff. I, I need this. I mean, this is just how it should be. It must be mine. And, and entitlement causes something of an ungrateful mindset in, in people's lives. And two ways that you can see that just very quickly, practically, is we would say stuff like, I want it now. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said it yourself, I want it now. I want it all. I want it all. Can you sing it with me? I want it all, and I want it now. Not tomorrow. I want it now. And there's something of this you can see in the story of the prodigal son. I don't know if you know the story in Luke 15 where um, this dad, he's got two sons. Just listen to this in verse 11. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he comes to his dad. Now, if you read the whole story, I don't have time to go into that. If you read this whole story, you see that this family is actually very wealthy. I mean, they are like a royal family. They've got, um, you know, uh, um, servants and everything. So they've got a nice setup. They, they don't need anything. I mean, it's like they've got everything that they need. And um, so this young boy comes and says, Dad, I don't even, you know, I'm, it's not really the time now, but I want it now. You said I've got an inheritance, and I want it now. I want, it, I want to use it now. And you know the story, he uses his inheritance, he goes away and he parties and everything, and he wastes everything. And then, uh, in the, uh, you know, he's sitting with the pigs and everything. is like, uh, he remembers that, listen, my dad actually has some servants. Yes, sir. maybe if he welcomes me back just as a servant. That will be amazing. And then he goes back. He goes back. And you know the story where the father actually welcomes him. And um, so the, the main thing here was he wanted, he wanted it now. But what actually, he had a royal life where he was living. He had everything that he was dreaming about. He had it. But he still wants something more. And he wanted it now. Now, I don't know if you experience this maybe in your own life. And today, like, you know, if you wait in a line too long, you know, it's just not on. You know, you, it's like this is bad service because I want to be in front now. <laughs> if you go to the AA or wherever, you want to do your license, whatever, you want to do it now. If you stand too long in the queue uh, or in the, in the drive-thru at McDonald's or wherever, it's, it's not on. You know, you want your free cheeseburger or something. You, know, you want it now. There's like, it must be quick fix. You know, and maybe to give you an example, on Thursday evenings when we rehearse for the worship team, you know, 9.30, we, we go home, and I live in Silverdale, and just as I want to get up on the motorway, then you see that they've closed the motorway at 9.30 at night. Have you experienced that? And then what happens inside you when they don't? Because now you understand you have to drive East Coast Road or Dairy Flat. It's a long, and then you get at home very late. All right. So that is really bad. <laughs> I just think of myself, and I get mad. I just get mad. And I realize, listen, yeah, this is entitlement. I mean, in South Africa, we, we complain when they don't work on the roads. Yeah, you get, and you complain when they do work on the roads. I mean, what's up with that? What's going on? There's something of an entitlement. Actually, I don't even recognize it, but it's, it's like lurking inside of me. I want it now. I want to get home now. I don't want to wait. It takes me 15 minutes. I don't want to drive 20 on a Thursday evening. I want to do it now. I want to get there now. So I want, I want it now. The second one is I deserve more. It's something of an ungrateful, ungrateful mindset that we can have. I want more. I deserve more. 
And you see this with the older brother of the prodigal son. When he returns, the young boy returns and his father actually says, you are welcome. He thought he will come back as a servant, but his father said, listen, you are part of this household. You are royalty. I welcome you back. Let's get a mantle. Let's, I mean, let's just have a big barbecue. Get the best. And we set it out for you. Our son has returned home. And then the older brother actually observes this and says the following in verse 29. He says, look, all these years, he's talking to his dad, I've been slaving for you, dad, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I deserve more. But this guy doesn't know and doesn't re- well, he knows, but he doesn't realize this in that moment, is that he also has a massive inheritance waiting for him when the time is right. But he wants, he thinks he deserves more. You know, we hear this type of thinking today. You know, I need a better, I deserve a better paying job, and I deserve a company car. Doxa Deo. <laughs> yeah Uh, you know they owe me the people owe me you know it's like i deserve more i mean this is a really amazing illustration or maybe reality ladies it's that moment when you say i just have nothing to wear right so my wife also did that a few times and then i like by the looks of what you have on you've got clothes on and by the looks of your cupboard and the spare room's cupboard that's filled with all of your clothes, I think you've got enough. You know? I th- the ladies, am I right? I think the, the men, we are a little bit outnumbered at this stage, so let's not go on with this one. <laughs> so I deserve more. Now you can have as much clothes as you like. I deserve more. I want it now. It's something of our culture today, society. It's, it's, it's bad. It's entitlement. Today I want to talk to you about the opposite of entitlement. Something of a forgotten virtue in society today. And that is gratitude. You see, gratitude has has become something that we even see in, in the U.S. today. And even in our lives, something that we sometimes just focus on once a year. And we hope that we can think of all the good things in this year that happened so that we can thank And then we've got a long list trusting for the next year. And hopefully all the good things happen that we trust for so that we have enough things to thank God again for the end of the next year. And I wonder if this is really what, if this is the heart of gratitude that God wants for us. Reading a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, it says, Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time and thank God no matter what happens. In the good times and in the bad times. How easy is it to thank God in the good times? But this is thank God no matter what happens. If you're sad, if you're mad, if you're glad, whatever happens, thank God. Let thanksgiving be something part of your life. And then the scripture ends with this. It says, this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ to live. 
thankful no matter what happens. This is the way. God wants you to live. You who say you belong to Christ. You who say you believe and you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just when it's going well, but whatever happens. Thank God. Always be in a place where you can think, what can I thank God for? I don't know about you, but God's will for my life is a value for me. To be in God's will for my life is a value. A value is something that you choose and you make time for it. And you actually, you, you, you say, you know, this is something, this is a focus. And maybe this is a question for you. What is the values of your life? What do you value? What do you value in your family? Um, but if, the, if God's will is a value for me, then if his will is that I should be thankful no matter what, then gratitude should be definitely one of the values in my life and in my house and in my work and in my community, wherever I go. This should be a value. And if that is a value, this gratitude, thanksgiving, won't be something that's just celebrated once a year. It will be at the top of your mind. Every day, you would live in gratitude. I love Philippians 4, where Paul writes, and he says, you know, he writes, actually, that he's sitting in, in jail, and he's, he's writing through the church, and he says, listen, you're going to go through tough times. He's, and then he used these words. You know the scripture, it says, don't worry or be anxious about anything. Lucky, you know, it's easy for you to say, my friend. No, he's sitting in jail. He knows. Don't worry or be anxious about anything. But in everything, any circumstance, no matter what happens, he says, with thanksgiving, make your prayers and supplications known to God. So he says, don't worry about the situation you are in and don't worry about tomorrow. But in that moment, whether good or bad, and sometimes it's in the bad times that we need to hear this, whether in that time of the bad time, you need to, with thanksgiving, don't forget thanksgiving. Don't just make your prayers and supplications known to God, but you have to do it. Start with thanksgiving and then make your prayers and supplications known to God. And then that scripture ends, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard over your hearts in Christ Jesus. It will guard your heart not to be entitled. Wow. It's amazing. Colossians 3 verse 15. Paul writes, he says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other in step with each other none of this going off and doing your own thing and then he says and cultivate thankfulness cultivate you can't cultivate something by just doing it once a year a culture is something that you live with every day and may god help us that gratitude today the message will be that it will be a daily thing it will be something of an attitude of our hearts of our spirit to be thankful for what God is doing and who I am today and what he's done in my life in my life imagine if we can celebrate days like these the story
stories of impact because of the value of gratitude in your life. Because it's a value. Now, I want to take you, if you have your Bible here, please go to Luke 17. I want to show you this story, and we can learn so much here about the attitude of gratitude and, and really just seeing this becoming a daily thing, a, a value in our lives. So Luke 17, uh, maybe on your phone or wherever, um, you can just go to that um, verse 11. We see a story um, where Jesus is busy walking with his disciples and 10 men um, comes up to him and listen to this at verse 11. It says, now on, this, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, please have pity on us. And just to explain here, leprosy was a very, very bad sickness in those times. Um, obviously, a sickness that you could see on, on your skin, it actually eats away the flesh. Um, and it's like these, you know, oozing sores that you have on your body and it's visible for everyone to see. And in those times when you had leprosy, you were actually seen as an unclean person. You're not allowed to touch other people. You were always segregated to some place. And, and it's just, you, it's almost like, you know, uh, put on your mask, you know, you <laughs> so you've got another place where you go into, you know, it's like you're not part of society. So leprosy was a really bad thing. I mean, for some of these people, you know, there was no cure for it, nothing, no cure. You died with it. It was just, you would die because of it. And um, for some people, having leprosy in those times, I mean, it would be years since they had any touch, been touched or even hugged by some other people. So it was something of there's no connection. It's like you're just isolated. Uh, it must be it must be horrendous to I think to have to have had leprosy. We see the story of them coming to Jesus, obviously hearing what's happening. Jesus going around and people getting healed, and they and they and they and they shout out. They says, "Jesus, please heal us. Have pity on us." And then we read in verse. Um, 14, it says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, the priests in those times were the people that knew the, the scripture. They were, uh, I mean, they were the people that, um, you know, knew scripture. They were all the rules and regulations governed by them. And, and uh, obviously, they were not very fond of Jesus. Obviously, he was going countercultural. And doing stuff really wild and healing people, it was just crazy, you know. And um, so he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So just get the story. I mean, this is a miracle. I mean, they come to Jesus. Jesus, please heal us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priests. Go. Now, I mean, this is no guarantee they're going to be healed. I mean, they turn around. I mean, some of them must, must have thought, you know, oh, yeah, he also sent us away. You know, we're not welcome. And then they go. Well, let's maybe go home. Some of them said, let's go home. Others said, no, let's go show ourselves to the priest. Maybe just, you know, have some faith. Maybe something can happen. On their way, the miracle happened, and they got healed. 
And they got healed. It's a miracle. The disease was gone in that moment. I mean, for some of them, the greatest dreams was to get healed of leprosy. Um, some of them, you know, it was their biggest prayer have just been answered to be healed of this thing. But then we read in verse 15, amazing. It says, one of them, one of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, he came back and he praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. It means he wasn't a Jew. So um, that was also a very interesting social dynamic. So Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, meaning that he's not Jew? So, well, I mean, just hang on for a moment. I can almost see that Jesus is confused at this moment. It's like, listen here, I mean, you were begging, you were crying out, you were in deep distress, your life was basically nothing. Um, you were just surviving, and you cried out, and God actually sent me as his son to heal you. And this miracle, I mean, this is the miracle of miracles for them. And I mean, where did they go? What are they doing the other night? So only one stopped of the ten. I was just thinking about the other nine. What, what were they thinking when they walked on? Maybe some of them said, I want to go home and tell my wife I'm healed. This is amazing, brothers. <laughs> I want to tell my wife. Well, I want to see my family now. Uh, you know, this is a long road to walk. I'm going to my family. You know, um, actually, guys, we didn't deserve the sickness here on earth. Actually, this should have happened. We should have been healed. I mean, Jesus said he's the healer. So, this is what should happen. You can almost see something of an entitlement slipping into their mindset. But only one stopped and turned back to give God thanks for his blessing for the healing my question to you this morning will you be the one looking at your life will you be the one that turns around that realizes the goodness of God over your life in every area maybe stand up Step back and say, you know, I want it now. That can wait, you know. I deserve this now. Like, let's rather see what can I thank God for. Let's go back to God. Let's make this a value in my life. Thanking God every day for his favor. Will you be the one that will thank God for his favor and not for the favors that, he, that you trust him for? 
but the favor that you are living in already. Will you be the one, not just thanking God, but also thanking other people who impacts your life? Uh, will you be the one that stops and writes a thank you letter maybe for someone? Will you be the one maybe today uh, understanding that our, our children are being ministered to downstairs, going and saying thank you to the called ones or the volunteers. Thank you for investing in the next generation. Thank you for making an impact in actually my family. Week by week, will you be the one who thanks a coach this year, a teacher, a leader? Maybe thank your mom or your dad, your husband or your wife, your friend. Or maybe just a person who loves to give away. Will you be the one going back and thanking that person or thanking God? You see, it's something of a, an attitude that we say, Lord, an attitude and a value. This will be important for me in my life. But something actually happens further than just this few verses that we read. Is in verse 90, you see a very interesting thing. After this man actually falls on his knees and thank God. He's the one who came back. He's the one who understood what happened. And he turns back and he's lying on his, on his, on his, on his face. And then we see what happens next. Jesus said to him the following. He says, get up and go on your way. Your faith, your personal trust in me and your confidence in God's power has restored you to health. This guy was not just healed. He had the revelation of the healing power and the saving power and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ in his life, this guy was not just healed, he was saved. His life changed. You see, something happened on that way back when he walked and he got healed. He understood that this is not just about me, but it's also about there's something bigger than just this healing. Something actually captured my heart when I turned back to a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. It was not just something in my head. It was something of internal, eternal value that happened. I understand there's something bigger going on in my life now. I understand when I looked into his eyes, there was something different. In this person's life, this was Jesus, all-powerful. I have to go back and thank him. But on my way back, I fall on my knees because I understand it's not just the healing that I got, but I see his, his love, unconditional love for me. He's the source of my life. He is the one that will care for me forever. And so there's three things I want to read. Maybe you can write it down or just take a photo, whatever. Remember this. Listen to this. Ten cried out to Jesus, but only one came back to thank him. God will bless you. 
God will do amazing things in your life. In a year's time, God can do amazing things. He does good things in your life every day. Will you be the one to come back? Secondly, ten were healed, but only one was saved. (laughs) Jesus never healed someone or did a miracle if they didn't change that person's life with a motive to let them see who he was. Just let them see, listen, you are actually lost. You need to be found. And I am the one that will heal you, that will save you, that will redeem you. Ten were healed, but only one was saved. Ten got something temporal, but only one got something eternal. He understood that in Christ, I have an inheritance. Life eternal with him. And may this be something that you experience when you say, God, I want to cultivate thankfulness, gratitude in my life. This is not just an earthly thing. This is something of who we are as believers in Christ. We see differently because we, we are part of his family. We are part of something spiritual. And we understand that we have the eternal life as our inheritance. And for that, because of that, that he has included us, we will get this right in our lives to thank God every day for who we are and what he is doing in our lives. If you have to get entitled about something in life, be entitled to give gratitude to God. That must be the one thing ever in our lives that we should be feel entitled to is to give thanks to God. My question to you this morning, will you be the one? Will you be?